welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. Bob Kravitz has been commentating about local sports for a number of years, first as a columnist at the Indianapolis Star, then as a writer and on-air commentator for WTHR Television, and now he has a new role. He writes a sports column for a new concept in coverage of sports online. It's called The Athletic. I talked with Bob Kravitz about his new sports writing gig during the morning of Thursday, May 30th. I'm at the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers. You can't miss it. It's right next to the police station. And it's all in the municipal complex here in in, in the Nickel Plate District. But we are recording this in the AV room of the Ignite Space, which is... uh, Basically, for people who are artists of all kinds, uh, artistic uh, things are not just painting, and that, there's plenty of that here, but they have electronic equipment, 3D printers, you can do video editing. We are in the AV studio where recording for video and audio is here. They have equipment that you can use. If you would like to have a tour of the Ignite Space, uh, just uh, contact the library. In fact, you can just come anytime the library is open and they will be glad to give you a full tour. My guest today is Bob Kravitz, well-known Fishers resident, well-known sports commentator for many years in the local area. So, Bob, it's always great to have you with us. Yeah, good to be here, man. And I want to start out just talking about your latest gig. You've worked in newspapers, you've worked on television, uh, but you're with The Athletic now. And I think that the concept of The Athletic, and I've been reading it now for several months, uh, you do pay for it. It's not great. We'll talk. We'll talk it's not a large amount, in my no. view. We'll cheap, talk cheap, cheap, cheap. Pretty cheap, I think. But it is a concept that uh, is starting to to grow with a favor. But the thing I like about the athletic, yes, you do have to pay for it. But not only do you get pretty high quality national sports writing, you can dig down into any sport, any major league team in the United States, and you've got coverage. Absolutely. Like my daughter is a huge Colorado Avalanche fan. So she reads. Uh, she'll she'll go on. She she goes to the Denver page, and she'll get all her Avalanche uh, coverage that she wants. Uh, there are people who are from Indianapolis who may live elsewhere in the world, not just in the country, and they can access everything that we write here in Indianapolis about the the Pacers and the Colts and IU and what have you. So it's it's amazing, and it, it's I, I think it has the potential to really save sports journalism because, um, look, you know, the journalism, generally speaking, is not doing well, at least in the newspaper business. And, and in, you know, in magazines, we saw ESPN go down. We saw SI get sold. Um, but I, I, think, uh, I think that the athletic has a chance to be a real game changer uh, for the landscape of sports journalism. Yeah, I think you, your points are great. ESPN, the magazine, is, is no longer a print publication. Right. SI, which had always been like the top of the line, always had the best photography, best writers. Um, I'm not sure you can say that today. Well, you know, I, I don't think SI is what it used to be. You know, I was only there for 15 minutes back when I was in my 20s, but, man, we had some studs. We had the Curry Kirkpatricks and the Eddie Sw- E.M. Swifts and Mike Farbers and, and people like that. And, uh, you know, I don't think they are what they used to be. And now 
they've been sold to this group, and Lord only knows what they're going to do with it. Uh, you would hope that they would sink money back into the editorial product, but you know, uh, I know how business works. I've I've lived it. <laughs> and, it's basically a marketing company that owns a big piece of it now. Exactly so, yeah. right. And so uh, I just hope that SI is able to sustain itself with the new ownership. But, uh, you know, if you get tired of reading that, you can always go to The Athletic. And you've, you've got a few writers to The Athletic that once worked at SI. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm just one of many. Uh, but uh, they've become a place where, you know, uh, experienced people have – taken jobs at the athletic because you know uh of the the state of the business and you know whether they got let go or downsized or just got tired of the of the nonsense you deal with um yeah it's i mean you look at our roster of writers and i'll i'll match them up against anybody in the country well, having both you and Stephen Holder, I mean, I, I love Stephen Holder when he worked with the Star, and he's doing the same kind of work for the Athletic now. You want to know what's going on with the Colts? You know, I I, I read Stephen Holder, and yeah. he's on. You know, he's got a piece of every so many pieces every week. It's it's a little bit and, it's uh, a little bit different in the sense that yeah. they don't want him to cover every hamstring pull. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't want the usual daily stuff. That you know, that's why I always tell people to say, "Well, the star or the athletic." I'm saying you can do both. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really complement one another. If you want the daily stuff, the star is excellent, and the star does, you know, the big pieces. But what Stephen is doing, and what I, what I'm trying to do is, you know, kind of take a step back and give people coverage that they wouldn't ordinarily get in a newspaper. Yeah, I was just talking before we started this about uh, the fact that I'm a Reds fan, and I love the, the Athletic because C. Trent Rosencrans, who has covered the Reds for ages mm-hmm. for different publications, uh, is the main. But he's but he was on a podcast recently, and he said, you know something, I I work for the Inquirer and I work for the Post in Cincinnati, and we had to report on every hamstring mm-hmm. and every broken toenail. You know, I had to just be have everything that 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 was going on. He goes, now I can step back and I can look at the Reds in a entirely It's very liberating. Yeah. It really is. Um, you know, just as an example, uh, well, you know, I wanted to do something on Robert Wickens, uh, the race car driver uh, who uh, is a paraplegic. And, uh, you know, I, I knew he was coming to Indy, but I didn't just want to talk to him when he came to Indy. I, I reached out to his people and said, you know, where is he rehabbing? Um, you know, could I spend a day with them? Yada, yada, yada. So I ended up going out to, to Denver and, and they were more than happy to send me. Um, and that, that's the cool thing. I've traveled for quite a few of these stories. I did one on Ron Salt, the former mm-hmm. Colt who discovered for himself the, the, what he believes is the miracle of CBD. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a guy who had, um, all kinds of opiate problems. He had steroid issues. He had depression. He had this. He had pain. And he discovered CBD for himself and is now like the Pied Piper of CBD in Eastern PA. He's a distributor. And, you know, they said, hey, that's a great story. Go ahead and do it. And, you know, I didn't write for a week. See, I'm not really competing against, you know, the star anymore. I'm mm-hmm. not competing against Greg. You know, I'm not... Greg Doyle. They're, yeah, they're yeah. I'm not, I'm not doing the daily stuff. I... I used to write four to five columns a week. Now, if I write two, that's a lot. And that's fine. That's fine with me. 
I'm going to talk more about The Athletic, how to subscribe before we uh, before we go. But I want to ask you about your coverage of the Indianapolis 500. You mentioned Robert Wickens. I love that piece. But uh, you followed Ed Carpenter as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ed Carpenter is, is the hometown guy. You know, he's from Indianapolis. Uh, he's been up close to the top for several years, but he just can't crack the, the winner's circle. Right. Talk about your observations of this month of May at Ed Carpenter. Well, it, to be honest with you, I covered the race, and they said, well, you got anything for a second-day piece? And I said, uh, well, I did talk to Ed Carpenter, so I think I can fashion something out of that. So, um, you know, the thing with Ed is that I, I think when it comes to – when push comes to shove, the, the Andretti's, Ganassi's, and Penske's have – things that can push them over the top and uh, i'm not saying that what ed carpenter has with ed carpenter racing is a mom and pop organization put together with scotch tape and staples but they don't have uh the money or the access uh to some of the some of the data and things that you need to get over the top in a race like the indianapolis 500 and that's why you see every year penske ganassi and andretti Speaking of the 500, ratings are up. Uh, the, it just seems like the buzz is beginning to come back. Maybe the 100th year uh, anniversary helped that. A lot. A lot. And and the fact that the racing has been pretty exciting. Uh, here's the thing. I, I go back a long way to uh, with IndyCar racing. I grew up in Indianapolis, so I was around it all the time, covered it to some extent. But I want to ask you about this. Uh I remember the last 500 when everybody was together, Jacques Villeneuve on the race, and then the big split came between right. uh, Tony uh, George and the IRL and the cart. Uh, the, most of the car owners went with what was called cart. So open-wheel racing was split. And, of course, NASCAR was more than happy to fill the void. They were big. Sure. Right now, I don't know about you, but I mean, the 500 is, is certainly on the upswing, but racing, auto racing in general, just seems to me to be on the downward slide, that younger people are not into it. What's your view on yeah, that? Yeah, it's really strange. I, I will say this, though. You, know, you can always tell um, the importance of, a, of an event by the types of celebrities they draw. And you looked at this year, Matt Damon, Christian Bale, and uh, Kelly Clarkson singing the national anthem, that's pretty strong. You know, back in the day, you know, you're lucky if you got the new Christy Minstrels in here. To, <laughs> you to, and I are the few people, few people who them. remember them. Yeah, so, uh, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to restore the cool of open-wheel racing. And why it's down, I don't know. But I, I do think that IndyCar has stabilized. The problem with, with IndyCar is... That for the casual marginal viewer, um, the Indy 500 is the only race they pay attention to. I mean, if you were to ask ten people on the street, what's the, where's the next race? Nine of them couldn't tell you. They got the two races up in Detroit next weekend, this coming weekend. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the issue that they face. They need to market their young, their young uh, drivers. And that's going to take some time. They've stabilized, but I don't think they've yet begun to grow exponentially. Um, it's you know that the split, and that's something I've I've run by the uh, the athletic as I think a, a good video kind of thirty for thirty sort of thing. The split just took the heart out of racing for a long time, and it's not something you recover from in you know even twenty years. 
Very true, and uh, and that was a self-inflicted wound. A lot of very rich people who just couldn't agree. That's the basics of that story. Right, exactly right. Um, Forbes magazine did a piece on Mark Miles as the man who basically saved the Indianapolis 500 from a business point of view. You think that's true? Uh, that might be a bit of an overstatement. Um, you know, I, ha- I haven't read the story, so uh, I'm kind of— Well, just in general, you're— Yeah, I, I, look, I think that he's done some good things. Um he was the right guy at the right time. Uh, I've known Mark for a, for a very long time, and he's incredibly sharp. But he got some good people in there. You know, Doug Bowles is, you know, he's, uh, what's the word, indefat- indefatigable? That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just always mispronounce it in a most unfortunate way. Uh, you can do spell check when you're writing. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Mark has done a really good job. Whether he saved the 500, I think the 500 is self-sustaining. To a certain degree, and look, you cannot undersell the hundredth running. Mm-hmm. The 100th running brought a lot of people back into the into the fold, into the tent, and a lot of those people are coming back because they enjoyed uh, their their experience. Now the question is, you know, what do you do about the, the local TV blackout? Which still it bothers me, and yet. Uh, you know, as a columnist, I'm supposed to have a strong opinion, and I don't hear. I'd have to see the numbers, but you know, they feel very strongly that they they would be heard at the gate if they showed it on local TV. And my thing is, I remember living in Chicago when I was in high school, and the Blackhawks uh, and uh, the old man Wirtz did not want uh, the games on TV, the home games. And I think you lose a generation or more of hockey fans just the way you do it you lose a generation of racing fans because of a little kid you know wants to, his parents can't afford to go to the race um you know it'd be nice to have it on tv and may, maybe that becomes that young person becomes a lifelong fan you talked to an old blackhawks fan just mentioned old man Wurtz, and you well, had a two-hour conversation on your yeah yeah <laughs> but so for people who don't know uh, Wurtz was the owner for many the Wurtz family yeah. still owns the, yeah rocky uh, yeah. the the blackhawks but the old man Wurtz, he he's uh he, he's indefatigable would be a good way of describing him in a, in a negative sense yeah jerk is another word yeah you okay use, yeah. you could use that yeah. that's fine one last thing about the 500 it seems to me in recent years we've had a lot of foreign drivers who have won the race that could is that good or bad for the sport i think it's fine i i think you know you've had five uh drivers from five different continents win the last five races and look would it help for an american to win probably you know and certainly uh, alexander rossi won the hundredth running um people i did not even know he was an american until i looked it up <laughs> i thought he was from like verona italy or something <laughs> Uh, it's like that San- Santino Ferrucci comes That's up right. to the press conference like, hey, what's up? <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. like, where are you from? Where am I from? The United States United of America. United States of America, man. <laughs> Melting pot. But um, look, I, do I think it would help if a Marco or a Graham Ray Hall or somebody with that family name or Ed Carpenter local? It would it would be helpful. But, you know, you want to grow the sport internationally as well. And. I mean, Takuma Sato is an absolute superstar over in Japan, and that's an area where they want to grow the sport. They want to grow it all over the world. 
Yeah, Japanese tourists love to come to the Speedway. If you yes. spend any time there, you see a lot of Japanese tourists. They love the Indianapolis 500. One last question about the 500. Did you watch the ESPN documentary on Janet Guthrie? Not yet. I taped it, though. I would encourage I you. I, it. I just watched it uh, yesterday. I recorded it as well. You know, I go back far enough with the track to remember the day when women were not allowed in the in the garage area or the pits. We're not allowed. Not allowed, I know. And when she came to the track, Bobby Unser and some of these other uh, drivers just did not want her there. Now, Arlene Histro, and she had really bad equipment, and she was very timid, and they basically threw her out of the sport because she was driving so slow. I think it was a race on the old track of Trenton years ago. Now, this is all in the documentary. But when Janet Guthrie, who was an accomplished race driver mm-hmm. in uh, road racing, had had done quite well in, in that area of racing, came in and, and uh, didn't have the best equipment and still figured out a way to make the race in her second year. Um, I, well, I, I'll just say that much. Since you haven't seen it, I want to yeah, ask you this. spoiler alert. But the whole thing, but I mean, it's not too much of a spoiler. People know the history. They know the history. I'm but just uh, Janet, yeah, a little spoiler is just Janet had a tough time. And I do remember, I was there when she was there the first year, and she was so nice to the press. Mm-hmm. You know, she would always, and if she was too tired, she was like, I really can't do it now. Can we do it another time? Yeah. And she would always do it. So I, I think she understood how her celebrity translated into what, other young girls and women could well, Danica, you know, Danica Patrick is mm-hmm. is kind of the granddaughter of uh, Janet Guthrie, uh, Pippa Mann. Mm-hmm. We've had a couple of female uh, drivers, and they've all acquitted themselves. Pippa Mann was one of the best stories of the year this year. The fact she got in the race, yeah. And, I, and did well. And did pretty well with all she had to work with. So, yeah, she's a great story. Britt. Mm-hmm. I believe I'm right on yes, that. The yeah. accent would say so. Let me move on to something, because sure. I really loved your interview with Pacers owner Herb Simon. Mm-hmm. Um, a very, I think that revealed an awful lot. And if you haven't read it, you know, if you don't, if you don't subscribe, get your trial subscription. Hopefully, you'll actually, but and get a chance to read this, and hopefully, you'll subscribe uh, to the Athletic. Um, I remember what happened uh, when it looked like the, uh, the Pacers were going to go to Sacramento, mm-hmm. and Herb talks about that in the interview. It looked like they were gone, and. <laughs> Here's the part that I did not know. He told you in that interview, not too much of a spoiler alert, that when it came out that, you know, the Simons were going to buy the team, keep it in Indianapolis, try to put some investment into it. What Herb didn't know and told you was that I didn't realize I was the sixth, sixth yeah. person or sixth entity right. that people had at the Holmans had turned them down. Lots of other people had turned them down. Uh, tell me what you came away with uh, when you finished that interview with Herb Simon. Well, um, you know, to me, the most interesting part of it was uh, at one point, and I think it was late in the interview, I asked him, is this a good pro basketball town? And I've always sensed that the Pacers feel like it's not a great basketball town. It's a great high school basketball town. It's a great college basketball town. But he responded by by waiting about three or four seconds before he gave me my answer, gave me the answer. And... It was not. It was not strong. You know. I mean, what he basically said was, you know, when we play well, there's enthusiasm. But he did not. And I, I appreciated his honesty. I mean, the Pacers feel like they've been completely displaced by the Colts, uh, which to some degree they have. But you look at you look at the Pacers. Uh, they've been in the playoffs eight of the last nine years. They've been in the playoffs twenty four times in the last thirty years. I believe those numbers are right. Um, and yet. 
they don't get the coverage. And I can tell you, just looking at the analytics um, from uh, from the athletic and just coverage in general, and this is true when I was at the Star, the Pacers don't move the analytical needle until maybe they get to the Eastern Conference Finals, as they did a couple of times against the Miami Heat and LeBron. But explain what you mean. But I think I know. But to explain to the audience, just what you number mean by the num- number of eyeballs, sure. and engagement. Um, uh, the number of comments you get. Um, yeah, I wrote a couple of Pacers pieces this year that just f- fell flat, and I mm-hmm. thought they were pretty decent pieces. Um, but, you know, if I write a, an okay piece about the Colts, the numbers are through the roof. So now you're not, I'm not, I am not going to um, limit my Pacers coverage because of that. But I also know that there's not that white hot passion for the Pacers that there are, is for, for the Colts, for IU basketball, for Purdue basketball when they're doing well, and certainly the high schools. So it's just, it's just, it's a weird thing. And that's what I took that three second hesitation is what I took mostly out of Herb Simon's Q and a one more thing. One more thing about Herb Simon. Uh, one I was struck by in, the, in your interview with him is that he said it was time to do the remodeling at, at the at the uh, basketball arena. Uh, I don't know what's the Bankers Life is still the, not the name technically. Yeah, it's going until to change. June. Until June. Um, then they haven't announced who it'll be. Right. But but the fact is Bob Kravitz he, Arena. Let's let's. Bob Kravitz, I like that. You like that? I like yeah. that. So, <laughs> okay, you threw me off my Sorry. game there, but. Uh, he wanted public space as a part of the package. Yes. And if you look at the di- uh, if you look at all the diagrams and, and the pictures and the renderings, it looks terrific. It really does. You know, look, I, I'm not a huge fan of billionaires feeding at the public trough, but I also understand. Look, look at what this municipality, this city, was ready to do for Amazon. Oh, you yeah. know, I mean, we routinely, as a city, um, provide tax breaks and whatnot. For to get companies to do business here, so I, you know, I, I understand what they're doing. But you, you look at Toronto at Jurassic Park, outside the building. You looked at uh, in Milwaukee where they have a big plaza. Um, a lot of these new arenas are building outdoor spaces um, adjacent to the arena, and you know, and it becomes a gathering spot. You know, you get food trucks out there, you get the beer, you get this, that, and the other thing. So I, I think it's a great it's a great concept, absolutely. I think what the Pacers did, especially after Oladipo went down, uh, I thought uh, the Pacers showed a lot of guts this this past season, uh, just making the playoffs. What's your view? Well, you know, I I, I felt that they were going to fall to fifth. I, I I really did. You know, it's it's a shame they couldn't have held on to fourth because I now whether they would have had any chance against Boston. I don't. I still don't think so. I, I still think Boston was far and away the better team, although they went and you know fell apart against Milwaukee in the next round. But um, I, you know, look, they were a sub five hundred team after Oladipo went mm-hmm. down, which I think we all expected. They had a brutal March yeah. schedule against all the best teams, uh, most of them on the road. Um, but I, I thought they hung in. Yeah, you know, they weren't idea. they weren't great. They weren't even very good, but they hung in and. You know, I'm not a huge fan of this culture, culture, culture thing with with pro sports. But I do think that the fact they have good people who, you know, did not, uh, you know, just throw their hands up in the air and say, OK, we're, we're done now. I, I think that says a lot about the players on this team and, yes, the culture. 
And let's move to the Colts because you and I did a podcast early in the season when we were here to talk about mental health. And I do remember that uh, I thought it was an 8-8 eight and eight season. You thought it was going to be 7-9. and nine. We were both wrong. Uh, do you give Frank Reich credit for that? Do you, uh, what, do you, what do you think happened? That team came together in a way most people did not expect. Well, I mean, it starts with Chris Ballard. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that draft class is going to go down as one of the great, not, not only the greatest draft class uh, of, in Colts history, but one of the great draft classes in the history of the NFL. Because, I mean, you know, they, they got two all-pros out of it, Darius Leonard and Quentin Nelson. That's the first time that's happened since 1965 when the Chicago Bears drafted Gale Sayers and Dick Butkus. Wow. And, you know, so I, it starts there. Uh, and, and I think Frank Reich did an amazing job. Um, I'll tell you who I really get, give a lot of credit to is Matt Eberflus, mm-hmm. the defensive coordinator, because that was a bottom level, you know, 32nd in the league, 31st in the league defense. And he got them to the top 10 with a bunch of guys. You know, I mean, he didn't have a dominant, dominating pass rusher, and somehow he was able to use again, you know, scotch tape and staples to keep that thing together. And I think they're going to be significantly better next year. The funny thing is, people are saying, "What do you think their record's going to be?" And I think they could be a better team next year. I think they will be a better team, but they very well could end up ten and six again because of the schedule. That because of the schedule, because they're facing. I believe this is right. Six of the top ten quarterbacks in QBR from last year, they face they face next year. Whereas last year, I believe they faced one top ten quarterback, and that was Tom Brady. And that, well, yeah, that's quite a, a, a that, that's quite a quarterback there. But I do think that you're right. Uh, uh, they'll be tested this year more than last year. But it's a better defense, and you've got to. Don't you think the coaching staff when you're in an NFL, we've got all these guys who have all have talent. They've all excelled somewhere sure. or they wouldn't be at the NFL. Is it a big part of being a coach, especially a defensive coach, having the players buy into your system? Absolutely. And and, and the, it, this particular defensive system, and we saw it during the Tony Dungy days, um, requires an enormous amount of buy-in, which is another trope that I hate, but it, it's, it's the only thing I got, um, because you have to play out of your mind hard all the time. In fact, they keep track of loafs. When you loaf to the ball, they call you out. And, you know, to play that type of defense, it's a run-and-hit defense. You know, you're, you're playing in zones, and you've got your area, and you've got to get to the ball carrier or the, or the pass receiver quick, or it's going to be a big problem. Um, so, yes, they bought into what Eberflus was selling, and to do it after a 1-5 and five start was really remarkable, and I think that says a lot about Frank Reich and, and that whole staff. You had a piece recently where you discussed the character <laughs> thing in the NFL, and your point, based, I'll let you explain it up, the, the basic point was the character thing is important until it's not important. Right, right. <laughs> tell, right. Us, tell us about that. Well, you know, a, you know, a lot of teams, and the Colts are no different, talk a lot about the importance of character, and that's fine. But, you know, uh, as I pointed out, Chris Ballard signed off on Tyree Kill uh, when he was in Kansas City. Now you got this Kelly guy who's, you know, uh, uh, Jim Kelly's nephew, I believe. I think you're right, yes. And, you know, he's got his relationship with Frank Reich. And I'm sitting there going, what is he doing here? I mean, he's you're bringing in a low-character guy, at least based on, on his very checkered past, 
um, who at the very best will be a third or fourth ar- camp arm. Um, I don't really understand that, but I think somebody was doing uh, somebody a favor, a family member a favor. Um, but, I, I, you know, I, the point I was trying to make was it's so difficult to sort of extrapolate. If a kid has problems in college, you know, what's he going to be like when he's 24, 25, 26? There's some, some people grow up and some people never change. And so it's, it's a difficult thing. I mean, uh, Chris Ballard really fought Tyreek Hill. Uh, after uh, what happened at Oklahoma State uh, could be reined in. Um, I took issue with the fact that he was quoted as saying the kid made a mistake. No, he beat the hell out of a woman, mm-hmm. and that is not a mistake. That's just damned evil. That's just wrong on every yeah. ethical, moral level. So this is a clear second chance because he's clearly uh, blown his first chance. Yes, yeah, yeah no doubt. So, you know, and, and the way they look at it is, well, we're not paying him much money. And next time he screws up, he's out of here. Well, mm. you know, I, I believe in second chances. Third and fourth, I'm not quite as uh, not quite as enthusiastic about. Yeah, the whole Chad Kelly thing has uh, has spawned a lot of commentary everywhere, and and I do have to wonder about that. And you you can't ignore the fact that there's a relationship between Jim Kelly and and Frank Reich. How, and, how is Chad Kelly in the NFL and Colin Kaepernick can't get a sniff? I saw a, a meme the other day that uh, said, why is it that Art Bryles is coaching, right. albeit in high school, Right. Art Bryles is coaching and Colin Kaepernick is still not a quarterback in the NFL. Right, right. Even as a backup, I mean, it, it's nonsensical to me, but that's, you know, we could we, we could go on for hours about yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's one of those things, uh, even the, some of the uh, owners and GMs that want to give them a chance are just afraid. They're just afraid. Yeah. I, it's... It's amazing to me that they are willing to bring in people like Tyree Kill, who um, kicked his pregnant girlfriend, um, you know, back at Oklahoma State. They'll they'll take chances on guys who've done really uh, miserable things, and yet here's a guy who just protested silently uh, before football games and has a strong political viewpoint. And he can't get a sniff in the NFL. I think that's just fundamentally wrong. Let's do some quick hits here before sure. we go. Um, Jeff Brom turned down Louisville State at Purdue. Who got the most out of that, Brom or Purdue? Oh, Purdue. <laughs> I mean, but but for how long? You know, I mean, I, I realize he signed a long term contract. What what are those long term con- what are, what do contracts mean in in, in uh, professional sports? Nothing. So. You know, if somebody comes along, a Texas, I mean, I'm just throwing names. I, you sure, know, Texas, could be anybody. Got, Texas yeah. got Herman now and they had a good season. But, you know, I think if a, another school comes along, um, at some point he may decide to move on. But for the time being, for him to turn down his, you know, what you would think would be his dream job at his alma mater, a place where he grew up, um, that says something about uh, the, about uh, Bobinski, their their AD. It says something about Mitch Daniels, and it says something about what they've built at Purdue. And I think they're going to be a good team for a long time to come. I think Louisville is a bit radioactive at the moment. They got big time <clears throat> problems, problems at yeah. the very top of that university. They're still working with, but mm-hmm. and yeah, Purdue and Mitch Daniels wanted Brom, and and Brom's done a good job so for as long as he's there. Let's go to Tom Allen at IU. He's got a good recruiting class. He's still kind of in this. Uh, Early, the early part of coaching, he's he's still not expected to, to produce for a year or two at least. 
What what do you look for at at IU this season? Well, I I think, you know, the good recruiting class uh, helps. Uh, I think it extends the honeymoon to some degree. You know, I think it it hurts him uh, in the public eye that, you know, he was a high school coach. You know, the only head coaching job he ever had was as a high school coach before he got to Indiana. Uh, I think, you know, people wonder uh, if uh, Fred Glass kind of jumped the gun. Uh, after he had to get rid of Kevin Wilson, that said, like he he is a an incredibly passionate, hard worker, and if they can get some quality depth, because you look at every IU game, it follows the same script. They're in it for two and a half to three quarters, and then they fall off a cliff. Why? Because they don't have depth. Mm-hmm. And if this recruiting class can provide some of that depth, maybe IU starts to win some football games in the fourth quarter. IU missed the NCAA tournament. That's something that the fan base, of course, will never forgive Archie Miller for. Archie's brother's got some big problems we don't have time to get into. <laughs> I'd love to talk about that whole situation even more. But, uh, you know, he's he's still trying to recruit. I've heard he's he's had some hits, you know, swings and misses. Yes, he has. Uh, what do you think about uh, Archie Miller, IU, and what's going on there? Not sold. Yeah. Just not sold. Uh, you know, uh, what bothered, you know, the thing about Archie is his teams at Dayton always overachieved. They're always a bunch of six, five guys who could, who just played with their hair on fire. And what bothered me about IU last year and, even the first year that he was here, they didn't play hard. Mm-hmm. There didn't seem to be that heightened level of accountability. Um, I thought that he should have put some butts on the bench for you know when guys did not bring it every night. And so I you know and to to have Juwan Morgan and Romeo Langford. Granted, Langford didn't have a great season, but he had a pretty damn good season by freshman standards. And to be as bad as they were, um, I, I'm not sold on Archie Miller and. You know, he's got is it Trace Jackson Davis, um, I so, yeah. uh, Armand Franklin. He's got some good recruits coming in, but he, he did whiff on a couple, you know, uh, he whiffed on um, Watford mm-hmm. uh, and a couple of other guys. So I think it's going to be another long season for Indiana. Mm-hmm. Not what the fans want to hear, but I think that's an honest assessment. Finally, let's talk about Matt Painter at uh, Purdue. He got into the tournament, but, you know, Purdue's had this stigma that they can only go so far in the tournament and never get over that hump. Uh, do you think Matt's moving in that direction, or what do you what do you think about it? Well, program? think about it. I mean, if um, Ryan Klein hits a free throw, they're in the Final Four, right? Because that would have put them up, I believe, four points. Um, or if they get the you know if the kid uh, Mamadou Diakite, uh, if he doesn't hit a shot at the buzzer, they're in the Final Four at the end of regulation. Uh, or maybe it's overtime, I can't recall, but they didn't get a rebound off a missed free throw. Yeah, it was the the play that led to the Diakite yeah. shot. If they get that rebound, they were this close to the final four. So there's, in my mind, there is no reason. To me, they broke through the glass ceiling last year. Okay. I, I really believe that. And I think they're going to be, a re- you know, they're going to lose Carson. They're going to lose uh, uh, Grady Eifert. You know, and those are obviously very important players, especially Carson. But I think they're going to be a really good competitive team again next year. And I think they're going to be in the top four once again in the Big Ten. 
As we wrap this up, um, I just listening to Bob over the last 30 minutes or so, uh, you know what you're missing. If you're not uh, reading The Athletic, uh, you just go to theathletic.com. Correct. How easy is it to subscribe? Uh, just go to theathletic.com and fill out, uh, you know, give us all your money. No, uh, it's How, really it's very you get inexpensive. A trial subscription for like you get a, a trial subscription for seven days. Seven days, which gives you an idea. Gives you an idea about. what's out there. Now we have podcasts. Mm-hmm. We have videos with the great Armin Katayan, mm-hmm. uh, formerly of uh, 60 Minutes and HBO's Real Sports. Um, it is you can you can lose three four hours a day reading all the good stuff on The Athletic. There's it's, more it's, content that you can possibly consume. Than you possibly yeah. consume, absolutely, whether it's your local teams. And that's where they've been really smart is they started out nationally and they've just grown like a weed all over not only the United States but Canada. We just started a motorsports vertical just this past week. Uh, we've got some new – I don't think I'm allowed to say what they are, but we've got two more verticals coming online here okay, for yeah. different sports. We'll, we'll look for that. Yeah, so it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be a monster. I was it's already a monster. The motorsports, I'd been looking for it. I thought, when are they going to do that? Boom. You know, it was right around the – uh, The amazing line. thing is that, you know, they've only been around for three years. That's and, right. Um, uh, something like that. And we've already got um, – I would call them bureaus – in every NFL city, every Major League Baseball city, every hockey city, every basketball city, uh, we're across Canada, um, cover all kinds of sports, fantasy sports, soccer, international soccer. So this thing is, it is a monster, and I just hope to God that it uh, it's able to sustain itself. And every metric that we've, you know, that they share with us in the front office it's very, very hopeful, very hopeful. So you're growing, and uh, there's a lot of room to grow some more. So theathletic.com, I can't, if you're any kind of sports fan, at least give it a try. Do the do the uh, subscription trial, and sure. I think you'll be sold on it. It's I, You do have some specials that come up All the time. We had a Memorial Day special. It was like 50% off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, usually when we do a blitz of some kind, whether it's pre-draft or NBA finals or something majors coming up, um, you know, I try to tweet them out as often as humanly possible, so follow me and I'll, I'll get it out to you. Or you can even email me at bkravitz at theathletic.com. Hey, you know, uh, give me the latest and greatest in terms of uh, in, in terms of the best sale, you know, going on, and I'll get it to you. No and just problem. To, to give you an idea, I think I paid a year ahead of time. It's less than $5 a month, so it's, it's, it's very It's a beer. Cheap. It's, it's a craft beer. It's really beer. cheap. Yeah. It's really inexpensive, and... Yeah, for those of us who are computer uh, Luddites like myself, it is the easiest read. It's so easy to go through the website. I mean, you really got to be dim not to figure out how to use the website uh, on your phone or what have you because – Hell, if I could figure it out, anybody can. <laughs> Same here. I, I, you know, I'd run a website and I do a podcast, and I mean, you will, will believe what it took to learn how to. Oh do yeah, this. well, you I'm know, we're, an old we're, radio guy. We're, we're of a certain age, <laughs> but uh, I, I found it incredibly uh, easy. Incredibly will, easy. Bob, a man, man of the sports world, resident of Fishers. It's always good to talk. Always to you, good Bob. to see you, man.
My thanks to Bob Kravitz for joining me on the podcast. And if you are a sports fan and enjoy reading quality sports journalism, consider a subscription to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com and sample The Athletic with a free trial subscription. This is the Larry in Fishers podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I write the LarryInFishers.com local news blog from Fishers, Indiana, the suburban community northeast of Indianapolis. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.